Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Each week, we deliver informative health and wellness topics you want to know about, so be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. And if you have any questions about content discussed in this episode, ask them at AFSPA Live, our live Q&A session streaming every last Thursday of the month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on youtube.com slash AFSPACares. Now, here's your host, Chief Operating Officer, Kyle Longton. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSA Talks. I'm your host, Kyle Longton, and I want to thank you for joining us again today. Um, before I dive into today's topic, I just want to remind you to go to afspaorg slash events to find the latest and greatest version of what we have going on. Throughout the month of May, we have some financial education webinars that you can participate in remotely. So look for that information at afspa.org slash events. We'll be adding more information and more events soon. So each month, my colleagues and I take a look at sort of what the official designations are and what different awareness of months and weeks and so forth are going on. And it is May when this podcast is going out. So I'm a bit behind for um, this topic, but it's so important I wanted to make sure that we got it out there. Today, AFSPA talks Autism Awareness Month. Autism Awareness Month was officially the month of April, and you probably saw more information about that um, in, in media, on social media, and so forth. Um, and we worked to get someone to, to help educate us about what it means when we talk about autism and what treatment options may be available and how people can access those treatment options. So we turn to our partners at Brightline Health, and they've offered uh, to support us before with podcasts. You can find some great ones in the fall. And Brightline specializes in mental health services through their Connect program, their coaching services, and what they call their care level with master's level um, licensed therapists, as well as psychologists and psychiatrists to support both children and teens, as well as their parents um, who may be in need of, of information guidance on how to support their kids and teens. Um, and we'll have some more information about Brightline and specifically how it relates to this topic. But for me, autism was a, a term that I had heard for years. It was a, a term I was somewhat familiar with. I knew of, as I'll mention in, in the interview, a screening that my pediatrician's office asked me to complete for my own children um, when in their earlier years, but I didn't know exactly specifically what we were talking about. I wanted to, to have a deeper understanding. So Brightline put me in touch with Heather Busby, who is our guest today. Heather Busby is a nurse practitioner, dual certified in pediatrics and psychiatric mental health. She's worked in healthcare for 20 years with most of her experience being in pediatrics. She studied to be a pediatric nurse practitioner at the University of Colorado and completed a post-master's degree in psychiatric mental health nursing at Johns Hopkins University. She's currently working on a PhD in developmental psychology with a focus on improving early identification of autism in female and gender non-conforming children. She's also a trainee in the leadership education in neurodevelopmental and other related disabilities or LEND training program offered through the Department of Health and Human Services at the University of Washington. In addition to being a psych provider and a doctoral student, she's also a mother to three neurodiverse children. I'm very excited to share 
her expertise with us today. And Heather, welcome to Ask the Talks. Thank you. Um, we, we, you're here today to, to help us understand a little bit more about autism. Can you tell us in broad terms what is meant when we use the term autism or autism spectrum disorder? Sure. Um, autism spectrum disorder is a neurodevelopmental condition. So it is something that is present from birth. It, it's the brain that you're born with that um, is a little different than the majority of the population. Um, there are different criteria that providers use to diagnose autism, but we really try to screen for that at a very early age. There are, um, there's a saying that if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism because sure. it presents in so many different ways, but that, that can be very vague than like, well, if you know one person with autism, like how, how do we even define autism? There are specific criteria, but it's kind of like fingerprints. So when you look at a fingerprint, you can tell this is a fingerprint. It, it's not just an oval. It's got specific characteristics that differentiates it from just an oval, but still every one of those is, is individual. Okay. And, and, before we get get too far down, I'm wondering. You said it can look different in every person. It, it, since we, you're here um, you know, with a specialty, a background in pediatrics, and I remember taking my own kids to the pediatrician and completing autism screen, screening form. I'm just curious: are there are there common behaviors or, or common um, uh, manifestations of autism that parents might look for in children at a, a younger age? Sure. Um, most likely the form that your pediatrician gave you was the MCHAT FR. Um, that's one of the most common autism screening tools. Um, very short, very widely used, and it looks for some of those very common behaviors. So is the child having differences in joint attention? Like, are they not aware of things that are around them? Do they have unusual or repetitive behaviors? Do they show interest in their peers? Um, are they responding to their name? Um, are they using common nonverbal communication like eye contact or um, different forms of body language and nonverbal cues? Okay. All right. And, and so this parents may complete this, this form, they may talk with a pediatrician and, and then we come to a diagnosis. And I'm, I'm curious, prevalence, how, how many people in the United States have a, a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder? That is actually kind of a complicated question. So the um, most recent data from the CDC shows that, that one in 36 individuals have autism spectrum disorder. It is prevalent in all cultures and ethnicities. However, unfortunately, there's some disparities in accessing an autism diagnosis. So if someone lives in an area where there's a lack of providers, a lack of specialists, there can be delays in, in accessing an autism evaluation, which is traditionally done by a specialty provider like a developmental pediatrician or 
a child psychologist or a child and adolescent psychiatrist or a team of people often will do an autism evaluation. Okay, but but one in 36 is um, a, a surprising number for me and, and maybe for many of our listeners who are not as well versed in in um, autism um, as, as certainly you are and um, those who may be living with it in their daily lives. Um, I'm curious because we're talking about pediatricians and, and the screening that the screening you mentioned happens at a fairly young age. Mm-hmm. Um, but can signs of autism appear at later ages? And, and do those signs differ um, from those that might be used um, to diagnose younger children? Um, sure. Um, well, as I mentioned, it's a neurodevelopmental yeah. condition. So like it's present from birth, but sometimes those signs may not be um, picked up for a variety of reasons. Like if there was a lot of stress in the family during that um, toddler preschool age, um, maybe it was missed or um, I mean, there's a hundred different reasons why Mm -hmm. maybe some more subtle signs may not have been picked up. Um, So, but even when it shows up later, if it's autism, there were signs since early on. Autism doesn't just start um, some point later in life. However, for some kids, maybe they weren't having functional impairment at a, a younger age. They weren't having distress. And as social situations become more complicated, as kids get older, they might have um, more social struggles that they didn't have as toddlers. Okay. Well, and and you mentioned that diagnosis can be done by a specialist. It may even require a team. What about treatment, if that's even the right word, or, or perhaps support or uh, for someone with autism? What, what, what form does that take? So that is going to be individualized to the person and their specific needs. Um, many autistic individuals have speech delays. Um, they, ha- I mean, all autistic individuals may have differences or deficits in communication. And so speech therapists are a very big part of serving autistic individuals. Some individuals will see an occupational therapist and this can help them learn to navigate tasks of daily living, learn to deal with different sensory issues that might be overwhelming for them. Some individuals also need PT. Um, Sometimes they may need um, an AAC. It's a alternative or it's augmented alternative communication device um, to help them communicate. And many children also require educational supports in the school system. Okay. Um, and so once again, if you've met one person, you've met one person. And if you you have a, a plan for treating one person, you have a plan for treating one person, it sounds like. Um, which I think is, is maybe a, a good way for us to talk about sort of how Brightline approaches um, autism. And obviously, I'm sorry. No, no, oh. I was going to agree with you. Sorry. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Brightline offers virtual care. And 
I'm wondering, how does that model work for autism support or treatment? Sure. Um, well, I mean, as we mentioned, autistic individuals have a, a variety of needs. We also know that 78% of autistic individuals have a comorbid mental health condition. So they may have depression, they may have anxiety, um, they may have something else. So um, Brightline would offer them treatment to address those concerns. One of um, the things about autism care in general that I, I find really sad and concerning is so many mental health providers are afraid of an autism diagnosis. And if they are referred an individual who's autistic, they will refuse to see them, even if it's totally within their scope to talk to them about depression and anxiety. And, and that's just a really, really sad wow. statistic. Um, but Brightline doesn't discriminate based on having an autism diagnosis. If you have autism, we can help you with your depression or your anxiety or um, other problems, um, maybe some behavior concerns that the child may be having interacting at home or with others. And, and are, is there support available through Brightline also for, for parents who may be supporting their child with an autism diagnosis? Absolutely. So. Brightline actually has a coaching program. I wish, so I have two kids with autism. I wish this program was readily available for me when they were tiny, but it's um, a program where the parent meets with a coach virtually. So like through Zoom and they talk about supporting the child, helping them to develop their language skills, helping to set up the home environment for success for the child, helping to encourage positive behaviors, also helping to understand problematic behaviors and prevent them and address them, as well as um, other things that autistic kids commonly struggle with, like sleep and flexibility and navigating complex medical systems. Okay. And and I think you, you've answered this, but I think I, I want to connect the dots for myself and for our listeners. Um, you know, I was thinking why might someone choose to engage with Brightline in addition to or instead of other options, but you've mentioned that a little bit in terms of they're not going to be turned away. Um, this isn't necessarily we're not looking at necessarily the occupational physical therapy through Brightline, obviously, but treating those comorbidities and also helping um helping parents with the coaching program to support family members. Are, are there other reasons that come to mind um, where sort of Brightline excels in a way that maybe um, in-person or, or another program may not? So, I mean, families can definitely choose to get Brightline services in addition to the speech or the OT or the PT. And um, I would never tell anyone to do therapy instead of education. Sure. Like, you should be having both. Um, but Brightline is accessible um, in a variety of locations. If a family lives in a rural area, they may not have access to some of the autism specific or um, providers who are autism informed and trained in providing um, specific services. Um, so access is an issue. It can be convenient to um, have visits over Zoom. Also, it can be 
very challenging to take an autistic child to different um, therapy sessions and like depending on where you live your day to take your child to an appointment and back and get back into school and work, et cetera. Um, So having the virtual care can be very convenient for families. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And I think we we appreciate that for, for our members that Brightline is also in network where we're finding that particularly in the mental health space, it, it can be very difficult in some areas to find providers who are in um, network. And so that can be a great advantage. But just the, I have found from my own use of Brightline, just being able to do it at home, engage with a coach through chat or schedule the, the times makes um, makes all the difference for um, for a busy family and, and just finding the time to, to make sure that we're getting treatment that otherwise might go, um, you know, might, might not happen. Sure. Um, you know, Heather, I, I appreciate that this has been a great primer for me, and I imagine a lot of our listeners on autism. Is, is there anything else that that you want to add that we've missed in our discussion today? Anything you think that we should walk away with? Um. Yeah, I I would say that um, I think most people um, have some misunderstandings about autism, unfortunately, that can harm autistic individuals. Um, like there's myths that um, autistic people don't have feelings. That That's not true at all. Um, they do have feelings, um, but sometimes they may struggle to express those feelings and struggle to interact with others. Um, I think it's most important that um, autistic parents, which if or sorry, not autistic parents, but parents of autistic children right. uh, understand that there's hope that it is possible for their children to improve. And the earlier they're able to access services, the better the prognosis is. So don't just oh wait for the child to grow out of a particular concerning behavior, it's better to really have that addressed early, get into early intervention services. Children, when they're very young, their brain is more plastic and it's easier to help them build the skills that they need to be successful. Um, I think also related to your organization, you um, are really big on suicide awareness and suicide prevention. And more than 50% of autistic individuals suffer from suicidal ideations. It's, um, It's a big concern. And when autistic individuals have the correct supports, when they have a supportive home environment, when they're getting good support at school, when they're getting their mental health concerns addressed, that can really alleviate that suffering. I had no idea uh, that the stats were were that high. Um, so I I appreciate you leaving us with this this information, but also with the hope um, that that support and treatment can lead to um, you know, better outcomes and and for everybody, um, parents as well as those who are, are have a diagnosis of autism. And Heather, then I guess thank you so much for sharing all that, but 
But before we wrap, I mean, you are someone with with personal experience with family members um, who are living with autism. Do you have anything to share from from that perspective in terms of of how your family members um, encounter the world and and what they encounter from the world? Sure. Um, I would say that autism actually has many strengths and there are really many great features uh, about being autistic and those, those, I, I think my kids um, have a lot to offer and I think they make the world a better place and autistic individuals often will have a different viewpoint and different viewpoints can help us find different solutions. And I mean, there are there is great value in autistic voices and i think it's also very important when we are talking about care for autistic individuals that we listen to autistic voices that we include the perspective of the autistic community not just the people that are caring for the autistic community but those individuals themselves so listening to autistic adults who have this lived experience. I mean, sometimes our our young autistic toddlers cannot verbalize very well what their experience is, but listening to people who have have been there and have lived through that. So important. Um, and and like you said, probably often overlooked by by many of us. And um and I appreciate the the reminder. Um, and and not just just from your clinical experience, but from your your lived experience and that of your family members. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Kyle. Excellent. Well, Heather, thank you so much for for joining us today, for sharing your expertise, both as a practitioner and as a parent. Um, that means so much to me and, and to so many of our listeners. So thank you for joining us. All right. Thanks, Kyle. It's been a pleasure. Members of the Foreign Service Benefit Plan located in the United States can access Brightline services at hellobrightline.com slash FSBP. Members also can contact our dedicated clinical team for more information about resources and treatment options for autism using the information found in the show notes. This has been Ask the Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. The views and the opinions shared on this podcast by the host and guests are theirs alone and do not necessarily represent ASPA or any of its partners. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or the other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to ASPA Talks to catch our next episode. Please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app and share feedback with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Search for at Ask the Kids. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Ask the Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you'll never miss an episode. If you have any follow-up questions about the topics in this episode, join our Ask the Live Q&A session on the last Thursday of every month. We will be streaming live on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash AFSPA Cares at 11 a.m. Eastern Time to answer your questions. Thanks for listening.